Uh, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast for the week ending Friday, June 18. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about the resignation of University of Arkansas Chancellor Joe Steinmetz, the candidacy of Chris Jones, who's running to be the Democratic nominee for the Arkansas, Gov- Arkansas governor's race, and the Little Rock sales tax election. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Afternoon. So the, the big news of uh, last night and today is the surprise resignation of University of Arkansas Chancellor Joe Steinmetz. Yeah, and, uh, and, and no explanation, and it was pretty abrupt. Uh, I think the story, a story began circulating early this week, and uh, it started, it reached me early yesterday afternoon about the time the UA Board of Trustees was having a special call meeting and it was held all in executive session and they didn't announce why they went into the session except for a personnel reason and when they came out they said they'd taken no action but by then there was a fever pitch that uh, that Steinmetz was very shortly going to depart and indeed I don't know by six or seven o'clock yesterday, he'd issued a statement announcing he'd resigned his seven hundred fourteen thousand dollar a year position as head of the state's largest college and one of the major land grant universities in the country. Uh, he said, uh, "More time with family." the the age, the age old uh, the age old explanation, and said something about, "Oh, I don't know, a time of turmoil or or tension or what have you." And that led some people to conclude that this was all about J. William Fulbright. That is, he uh, oversaw the committee that came up with a recommendation to take Fulbright's name off the College of Arts and Sciences and and, and to remove his statue from the campus. Uh, Steinmetz split the baby in half, really more than in half. He said, let's keep the name and let's keep the statue. Let's just move it away from Old Main to a slightly less prominent place. That recommendation went to the president who hasn't acted on it yet, which is kind of interesting. But they both got treated pretty abusively by the legislature, which suddenly, which in in his heyday, they would have hated J. William Fulbright. But I think they kind of liked the idea that he was a racist, uh, and so they want to keep his statute around. So anyway, that's all the background. I think think it is, well— I'm hesitant to go too far with the many very detailed stories that are going around because I don't know them firsthand myself to be true. But but I, I think I can say this with great certainty. There was a personal issue that arose uh, somewhat unexpectedly. At least one TV station in Arkansas has reported they'd asked the campus about some photos on social media of somebody who looked like the chancellor. The, the university spokesman said the photos were bogus and that, that they were photoshopped or something. But in any event, a couple of days after they made that request, Steinmetz is gone. I think there's a personal issue there. And this is the problem. Uh, you know, personal issues are personal issues. And I don't know that the public is entitled to know everything there is to know about those. But when you have a less than 24-hour departure of somebody of this stature, the public has to know if there were any managerial reasons or financial reasons or or other reasons connected to his job that he left and they deserve to know that and deserve to know how the the university reacted 
a spokesman for the president of the university, Bobbitt, has told me sometime today they will finally release the formal letter of resignation that uh, that he submitted to the president. I asked for it yesterday and got nothing and got no comment from, from, from President Bobbitt. There may be some information in there, for example, about whether there's any kind of financial settlement. Does he just immediately go off the payroll or are they going to pay him? some months uh, like they have done in the case of some, of, of some other chancellors who left under pressure, Andrew Rogerson at UALR to name one. Uh, we don't know that. And perhaps he will give some more insight into the circumstances that led to this. It's a difficult thing. I, I, I think that, oh, gee, you know, I, 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 there seems to be in the short run an attempt by the University of Arkansas to send Steinmetz on his way without talking about why. And I just think in today's time, it's hard to do. For one thing, the story that is going around about why he may have been in a position he had to leave is so widely known now. I was walking this morning on my morning walk. A guy I don't know stopped his pickup truck and said, hey, is the story I'm hearing about Steinmetz true? <laughs> you know, what do you say? I, I mean, I didn't ask what story you're hearing, but I have a pretty good idea because I went out to dinner last night and they were all with a group of about Oh, 15 or 18 people, many of whom are graduates of the University of Arkansas, and a lot of them politically connected. And they were all telling the same story as if it was gospel. And so, you know, I, I've probably gone too far on this, but I, I mean, I, I just don't see how you keep this in the bottle forever. All right. Well, that'll definitely be something to watch. Uh, but let's let's move on to the other. Let me, let me add one other thing about this is Steinmetz had been there for five years. He wasn't a Fayetteville original. and in that job, any chancellor of any university in America doesn't expect to be there forever, and the bureaucracies are huge, and there are many issues, whether it's football or tenure or, or wages for graduate assistance, or there are always reasons that people don't like you. And so, I mean, I, I, I don't want to encourage anybody to jump to conclusions because at this point, all we know is we don't know. Okay. Uh, so the other big story, at least in, in uh, certain quarters, um, uh, among readers of the Arkansas Times, we'll say, was the, uh, uh, the candidate announcement of Chris Jones, I think that you'd mentioned several times, is likely to run, the former head of the Arkansas Regional Innovation Hub. Uh, he's running as a Democrat uh, for Arkansas governor, and uh, he came out with you know, a, a really strong introduction video. He's got a great resume, gives good quotes. Uh, I, I would say that he's probably the best Arkansas Democrats could hope for. Yes, and, and, and I hesitate only slightly to say that because, gosh, you know, whatever else you can say, we've got three other people who, who already had announced they were going to run and they are people not particularly widely known. Anthony Bland was a Democratic Lieutenant Governor nominee in 2018. 
uh, Russ Russell's uh, Little Rock business guy, and then there's Supa Shea Prasseth Mays, who is who is, has somewhat of a profile. She's uh, the wife of Richard Mays, a well-known lawyer, longtime civil rights lawyer, and she's a business entrepreneur in her own right. And they're serious about running, and and you know you want to give everybody a chance. But gee, Chris Jones is impressive. I mean, good grief, education, achievement, and what he has to say in his presentation. And he clearly had, had been had this announcement in the works for some time, and he, he opened it with a very impressive, what, about two-and-a-half-minute video about his life story and his beliefs, and it was just really impressively done. And, and really, he was a guy who started with very limited name recognition out of a fairly small circle, but if he gets some exposure on this, I think he's going to be likable. And that doesn't deal. Suppose he does win the nomination and, and goes on to, to face the Republican in, in the, the fall of 2022. He still faces, and he admitted it, I think, in interviews. He, he faces an incredible uphill climb. But one example of his skill is his announcement was accompanied on the day of his announcement by a national piece on NBC News, Network News, as sort of the bright young new faces in politics and is sort of an example of that. So I think he'll be able to, which I think if you take it all together, he'll be ra- able to raise a lot of money, uh, for one thing. Uh, for another and, and again, I'm, I'm terribly biased on this, but I think the, the likely Republican nominee is Sarah Sanders, and if it's not her, it's Leslie Rutledge. And while they have all of the elements that appeal to the Trump voter in Arkansas, which is presumed to be the dominant and deciding voice, they're just not very uh, warm and cuddly, let us say. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, they're, they're not just they don't have that kind of charisma that a bumpers or a clinton or or chris jones has i mean they, they just don't i mean they're just both kind of nasty i mean at times and there was a time when that used to matter but i mean we do have tom cotton as our senator so maybe not because there isn't a colder meaner fish in american politics than tom cotton he's been elected twice by very large numbers in arkansas so what do i know yeah, so what uh, can you imagine a case for Chris Jones winning the whole thing? Well, well, you know, what if Trump gets indicted and suddenly Sarah Sanders is attached to an accused felon? That might knock her numbers down. One little poll that's been done on the race shows her while well well ahead of Leslie Rutledge with only about a 40% approval rating. I mean, that's not real great to start with. I, it's hard to see how you can make Chris Jones seem bad. You, you might He might not be able to get his name out, but I, I don't know what they're going to dig up to trash him. Good luck with that. And speaking of trashing candidates, I, I have no idea of of the veracity of the background of this, but there was some polling done this week in which one, and it seemed to be about the Republican gubernatorial primary, and it posed the question of whether you would be less likely to vote for Sarah Sanders if you knew X, Y, Z. And it was some stuff about real estate investments in Florida, and I have no point in getting into what they are, but 
if there is some oppo research that is dug up some stuff on Sarah and anybody worked for Donald Trump. I mean, it's hard to imagine how you avoid the mud getting slung on you. Well, maybe there'd be a way to take it out. Although I don't, I don't see Chris Jones running that kind of campaign personally, but there would be ample outside agents to do that. And we've already got a super PAC that's been set up in Arkansas. That's already has a hundred thousand dollars seed money. That's already slamming Sarah Sanders, the presumptive nominee. And so, you know, who knows? I, 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 there, there might be a path, but the numbers still seem pretty daunting. It just seems like we're Democratic candidates in Arkansas are, are stuck around 38% or so. And, and just having the R after your name, no matter how personally repugnant you are, is all you need. Of course, we are, I think, the lowest... We have the lowest voter participation in the country in Arkansas, and there we've just passed the batch of laws that are gonna that are aimed at making that participation even smaller. Right, but there, for for the optimistic sorts or the folks that are really working in the trenches, that's that's a key part of the formula. Is well, that's what they did in Georgia, and it worked. Yeah. I, I'll point out, and I and I hate to point this out because. I hate to make politics a racial game, but part of the reason it worked in, in Georgia is they have a very significant percentage of black voters and they got them out and that gave them narrow victories in some important races, both presidential and Senate in Georgia. In Arkansas, uh, we could do a better job of turning out black voters, but the population is still only around 15 or 16 percent compared with, I think, around 40 in Georgia. And so solidifying that base doesn't take you nearly as far as you need to go you simply have to figure out a way to get some of the kind of mainstream generally lower income generally lower educated white voter and uh, actually i kind of think chris jones has some know-how on uh on what appeals to people i mean he yeah. His ad is great. Eighth generation Arkansan came up from a family that worked their way up by sweat and tears and, you know, has a good, a great personal story. I mean, I think he's a guy that can say, I get it. You know, I, I, I know about this. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about that more in the future. Uh, let's move on now to something we've talked about quite a bit in the past few weeks, and that is the Little Rock sales tax election, which is is now a go. The city board uh, approved the election on Tuesday. It's set for September 14, barring some shenanigans by the Pulaski County Election Commission. And based on a little bit of reporting I've done, that does not seem to be likely, though who knows? Something could come up. Um, the well, one thing that one thing they might do, though, is the ordinance, they failed to adopt the emergency clause. And so they can't certify they have an ordinance until July the 15th. And so then the, then the commission's got to call a meeting and, you know, and, you know, who knows? I mean, they can they can say we've got to do this strictly by the book. We can't, you know, blah, blah. I don't know. But no, most likely it'll get on the ballot. But I think more significant 
is number one, they have not yet uh, approved a resolution of intent on how the money will be spent. That's uh, not a legally binding thing, but it, but the reason it wasn't approved is there is a split on the board on how the money is going to be spent. And you always prefer to go into an election like this with the people proposing the tax increase in agreement on how the money would be spent. You theoretically, you tell voters, this is how it's going to be. And, and so they vote up or down based on that. And at this point, they can't really, can't really do that. And I think that's at least a small problem. So, and I, and I, I think, you know, there's, and there's some interesting divergence here. I mean, one, one good example is, is, as we've talked about several times, the shape of this spending package is largely shaped by Mayor Frank Scott. And it's shaped in a way to reach traditionally overlooked constituencies and to lift up people that he perceives to be his base poor and typically minority parts of town that have been overlooked and, I, and all of that's fine and that's i get it part of that is we've talked about before is an early childhood education program and it's somewhat 40 million dollars over 10 years and there have been a lot of that's a part of the package that has had some of the greatest amount of questions they, they attempted to address those in the resolution that wasn't adopted with some very specific steps on accountability and how it would work to, to allay some of the concerns. And they seem to have allayed some of the concerns of some of the establishment, higher income neighborhood white representatives, but I still detect some resistance from among all people some black representatives, Doris Wright, Irma, Irma Hendricks. I think Ken Richardson has kind of said some things that about spending money on youth that perhaps not targeting our, our money exactly the right way. And so I do think that a lot of what the mayor has done and has proposed says, I've got a mandate, my voters want this, my voters want that. Well, on this particular issue, maybe they aren't all together on and then that could, so that could be a problem just in electoral arithmetic. That's a, is, is the only reason I bring that up. Uh, there, there is, uh, and, and interestingly enough, there is some real resistance to the community school concept, which I thought enjoyed incredibly broad support. But I think in one particular case of one director, she kind of sneered at Jay Barth, who's the school the education's official for the city overseeing this effort. And I, I, I don't want to throw, throw the R word around, but I think there's just a suspicion on Irma Hendricks's part that anything proposed by a higher income white person, particularly who lives in her part of town, uh, maybe isn't to be trusted. You know, I mean, I hate to say that, but I, I just, I don't know how she reads some of the things she said. Now, she's not a big vote influencer, I want to say, but but she never loses either in more than one. So yeah, it means true. something. Well, so I think that the it will be interesting to see the how the resolution fight proceeds. Um, I think the the yay votes thought they had all their numbers locked in and, and, and then at the last minute they didn't. I, I suspect that 
Ken Richardson, who was a present vote throughout the night, was seen as as a yay, and and so was Irma Hendricks, who generally votes with the mayor. And in fact, one at one point during the meeting said, "You know, whatever you say, yeah, whatever the mayor wants." <laughs> Except, uh, but you know, I mean, for anybody that watches the city board, uh, it is such a mess. It's so dysfunctional. They all hate each other. Many of them strongly dislike the mayor the mayor clearly strongly dislikes a lot of them it's just awful to watch but how much of that spills over into the campaign i mean i I think well i was gonna yeah i was gonna say the good news is i was watching the city board at some point on youtube and you know there's a counter on how many people are watching it and it was 79 yeah Uh, (laughs) And so you and the Arkansas Democrat Gazette gave pretty full coverage of events, but we both know that newspaper readership isn't what it used to be. And so I think it is more likely that whatever campaign can be mounted will be more telling in the outcome than the fact that you're exactly right. The city board is dysfunctional and it's a shame and it's a mess. And uh, I don't know how you fix that, but whether it'll have a direct effect on the election or not, I don't know. Yeah, I I think it will come down to the merits of the campaign. And uh, it's a grab back proposal as as many of these are. And there's plenty of stuff on it that I don't like. And I think that will be the case for most citizens. But but it's hard to fault the entire thing. And and uh, unlike 10 years ago when the tech park was a big part of it, I don't know that there's going to be like a poison pill for progressive Litterock voters who usually come out for special sales. No, I, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a poison for progressive voters. Uh, I, I think there's a great deal of skepticism. in about the mayor's belief that of spending a big bunch of money on the zoo is a winner. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying I don't, I, I think he overestimates popular groundswell for adding a giraffe exhibit at the zoo. But, it, but I mean, clearly he's, clearly he's chosen that path. And, intuitively, I, <laughs> I agree. I don't understand, but they have done some polling. I mean, it was commissioned by the Zoo Foundation, so uh, maybe there was uh, some incentive to be sympathetic. Well, I don't think anybody's against having a bigger zoo, but I mean, I, I just don't think they're hungering for it particularly. And I, I also, on a very practical level, dispute the economic value of it. But that's 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 a that's a harder that's not really an issue in the election. But I kind of dispute it. The uh, the bigger problem really is one that Arma Hendricks made very clear to me in some emails this week and that I think Doris Wright has indicated. And that's how the money split up among the wards. You know, uh, ward directors are all about bringing home the bacon and they are very jealous of their prerogatives. And if somebody else they think is getting better treatment than they are, you know, they don't like it very much. I kind of made fun of Irma in a, in a conversation I had with her by saying, well, you know, there's about $17 million in it for your award, but, but, it's, but it's for a parking deck and for the downtown partnership, stuff that's being pushed by the 
unofficial mayor of little downtown little rock uh dean computers and if there's anybody she despises more on the city for than dean computers i don't know who it is so so you know it's uh it's a mess that's all all right well let's leave it there and move on to endorsements what do you got Oh man, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I've been reading like crazy, but just junk. I've, I've been reading more than ever, but, it, but you know, just detective novels and junk crap. I don't know if I can recommend it. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, I was out last week, so this is not quite, uh, on point, it's a little bit delayed, but I had such a good time watching the Razorbacks postseason with my kids um i grew up playing pretty much all sports but baseball was my least favorite i was sort of forced into it and i've never really cared about watching baseball except during the postseason and and when the razorbacks are good and uh you know i play backyard baseball with my kids but so fun watching those razorback games and explaining how baseball works and all the drama and everything and uh also one of my buddies got a bunch of kids and grown-ups together to play stickball down the street in a big field and that was such fun and something i'd never done before and still don't fully understand how you play stickball but um just you know hitting we're hitting racquetballs so if you got one it really really flew but backyard baseball baseball with kids it's uh it's fun you know it's funny i i did all that as a kid i played sandlot baseball and the, the highlight of my life as a kid was every summer my dad and I would get on the Kansas City Southern train and, and to Quincy, Louisiana and go to Kansas City and watch the Kansas City Athletics play. We Typically, the series with the New York Yankees, I saw Roger Maris hit his 56th or 57th home run, in fact. Wow. But, but, uh, but you know, baseball games back then took about an hour and 50 minutes. Now they take three hours. Yeah. I just can't endure them anymore. I'm yeah. just, I'm just, I'm just falling away from it completely. Yeah, no, it's kind of fun to have on the background sometimes. But oh, and, and they're great athletes and and all of that. I mean, I, I know the meaning of the sport and their athleticism. I think they're far more so than ever. But it's just, uh, I'm just kind of looking for more action. Same problem with soccer. They just don't, as amazing as those guys are, they just don't score enough. Yeah. Uh, I, we've, we've been pushing her to do this, and I don't know if she feels like the time has passed. Maybe the Razorbacks had gone farther, she would have done it. But Stephanie Smittle got really into the Razorback run, our colleague who, who's uh, our arts entertainment editor, uh, in part because her dad is a super fan, so much so that his – uh, his clap hat is featured in the Bomb Walker Stadium Museum. Uh-huh. He has, his nickname is Hog Noxious, and he's in every game, and he has way more Twitter followers than I do. Uh, but so they really bonded over it, and it was sweet. And I, every time I turn on the TV, I saw them several times. So, oh, that's great! I didn't, I didn't know that story. I've, I've been out, of, I'm out of the loop on that. That's too bad. I wish I'd known that before, so I could look for them. Yeah. No, the the Razorback baseball thing was was kind of it was fascinating. The hysteria, you know. I mean, people were just. I've never seen anybody so pumped since I don't know. 
Corliss Williamson or something. Yeah, it's a sh- I mean, you know, it's like anything. You have things don't go your way, but we were so good. And the Kevin Copps, that pitcher, when he was rolling, whew, it was amazing. He was a real thing, apparently. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, stay safe and, and cool as you can, and we'll be back soon. See you around.